I'm Jimmy Young from Pro Cannabis Media, founder here. We're joined this week by Josh Kincaid and Heather Allman, who are two correspondents for We Talk News. And a reminder that We Talk News will live stream after at the conclusion of Green Rush Live. So stay tuned and then stay tuned for a little bonus feature, an in-depth look at the Florida cannabis space with Heather Allman. Heather, thank you so much for doing that. Oh, no problem. It was my pleasure. I think Florida just gets overlooked because, you know, sometimes we're not we're not recreational yet. So but it's that, a big state. That's right. Anyway, and we've now we we've had uh, uh, the, we've heard of the Jersey boys, but these are the Jersey women. I'm not going to call them girls. OK, Jersey women. We have both of them in 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 our little Zoom room today. Uh, one is Jill Goldsberry. She is a publicist, Golden Media Relations in the. Jersey City area, right, Jill? Right? right. Yes. Yep. Okay. And and the legendary uh, and an old friend, Tara Masu from Blazin Bakery is with us as well from New Jersey. Tara, great to see you. Thank you, Jimmy. I've missed you. It's great to be here again. Oh, that, that's nice. And it's good to, it's good to be missed. So I got, I'm going to ask um, Tara, I'm going to cut right to you because we haven't talked in a, in a while. And New Jersey has moved forward in this process of licensing and the controversies over licensing and the social equity. What's your impressions of how adult use is rolling out in New Jersey? Well, I, I won't compare it to being tortured. Um, but, uh, there have been some challenges. Um, I am very excited that we are making progress. You know, we're stalled for a really long time. And uh, probably since last I talked to you, we've had two rounds of applications submitted. Uh, December 15th, we had our cultivation, manufacturing, and our labs, and that's both for large and micro uh, applicants. And then just on March 15th, we had dispensaries. So we have had every license type now had a chance to submit. Um, and we've already received approvals on that first December round for the conditional ones who now get to go to the next phase where they have to submit a site plan and municipal approval to get fully licensed. So aside from being a lot of hard work and a lot of challenges and everyone going crazy, it's actually all coming to fruition. So, And, and just remember this cliche in the cannabis space, it really is hurry up and wait. It just is. Hurry up and wait. The industry will never happen fast enough for the industry. Jill, um, what are your impressions from the outside looking in and publicizing some of the stuff that's going on in New Jersey about how the rollout has gone? Well, you know, Jimmy, I think that it's moving. Like you said, it is moving too slow for the industry. But in the PR world, it is actually... I'd say that they're a little ahead of it because they've been on the CBD kick for a while. So they're ready. You know, PR right. uh, media is ready to start talking more about this. And I think as soon as legalization hits and you know the licenses are available in New Jersey, it's going to explode. It's no, definitely we, know, we, we know eventually it's going to explode, right, Tara? But it's yeah. just getting there, right? Yeah, yeah but I, we actually are starting. So um, we haven't had any adult use open yet, but we have eight who were kind of almost approved. So the CRC is still pushing back a bit about meeting patient demand and some other compliance issues. But it does look like, sorry, um, it does look like we'll be having a couple adult use dispensaries open, not too distant future. And we have had new people get licensed. So those are in the works. Right. Um, Josh, I, 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 this is what I do when I, co-host or guest host or 
be the host and then I share with others. Um, and sometimes I just call on you. I feel like the teacher and ask if you'd like to ask a few questions for Jill and Tara, because they are tuned into the New Jersey scene. Yeah, I'd like to ask a question to both. We'll start with Jill uh, with that slow rollout in New Jersey. I think it was approximately 75% of uh, counties didn't want it. So they opted out where I'm from in Washington state. They just had to basically bribe these rural areas with $7 million in financing. So if they open up a retail shop, then they have access to an additional $7 million. Are you seeing any more um, of these counties that initially opted out changing their mind and their perception changing, whether it was CBD is the gateway for change or otherwise, Jill, are you kind of starting to see that crack? I wouldn't say that I'm seeing there's a change so much, but I that's something I really am not too familiar with. But I think that there's going to be a rollout. And I think that when, once the rollout does hit, I think that more counties are going to jump on it because they're going to they can see the benefits of it financially for each county. So oh. Can, can, can I jump in? Because this is my biggest nerve in the industry right now that you are striking. And I'm so it's not counties, it's towns. We have 565 of them. Out of them, we had bipartisan support. This ballot passed with 69%. And of those 565 towns, three didn't vote for it. One of them, it was a tie and the other two had about 11 voters. So that's how clear the demand was town to town that people wanted this. So then you get to the maybe not in my backyard, whatever, but no, that's uh, it's just not true. So now what we're seeing, aside from, like you said, 75% of towns opting out and the biggest place this is the problem is with the micro license, because in that you have to open up in the town you live in or a bordering town. What happens if you border two towns and they all opt out? You're completely stuck. Well, you get a burner apartment or you use your cousin's address. So that's creating all these issues. And on top of it, and I'll make it quick, I promise, the, um, the towns are starting to cater to big business because what we had from the CRC, our control board, was the lowest fees in the country. But now on a township level, they're putting their own application fees up to $40,000 just to apply to get your letter of recommendation for the town, which is locking out all small business. So this, like I said, this is my big touch point right now. I heard about that. I know personally know two people that have applied for licenses and they're waiting and that $40,000 fee came up in the conversation. So yeah. yeah, it's not every town. There's just a couple who are, you know, quite, quite frankly, just taking advantage as a money grab and it's problematic. So um, I want to, I want to go back to Heather here for a second and, and throw this topic out, uh, MSOs, multi-state operators. Um, in, in a new industry, I really do believe that these giant companies are necessary to kind of launch the industry, but they are also targets for the little guy. And Tara just mentioned, you know, that the, you know, the, the pricing of these applications alone kind of gets rid of all those small businesses. Are you, tell us a little bit about um, the dominance of some of the MSOs in Florida and has that been good or bad for Florida? Well, it's a tricky question. I think it's been good for Florida in the sense that we have 700,000 patients. We would not be able to service this market if it weren't for those MSOs in the space. However, they are, uh, obviously they're coming in and they're, they're getting some of the smaller 
businesses. We've seen Cresco come in with Columbia Care. We've seen uh, truly merge with Harvest. Uh, a lot of our companies that got those original 22 licenses are now being almost cannibalized. I think uh, the federal government is kind of waiting for that and watching these MSOs rise. Not necessarily a good thing, but I think it's a necessity because we are a capitalistic nation. We're run on capitalism. And there was going to be some type of corporatization at some point. Uh, Josh, I'm going to throw it right back to you in Washington State. Um, what's going on? What has been the history of multi-state operators in Washington State? Or is Washington one of those states that just makes sure it's in-state only? Yes, Jimmy, this is one of those Petri dish experiments that you want to stay away from uh, and just maybe, you know, research on what not to do. I think we don't learn from practice. We learn from failure. And this is probably one of the best learning experiences uh, you can have in the entire country. Uh, we don't have multi-state operators. We don't have the ability um, to have out-of-state investment. Um, you need to either be a resident or you can only have, I think, 10%. So it's incredibly difficult. Uh, there's not a lot of um, you know big presence here. And in fact, one of the bigger ones ended up selling to Harvest Health, who's been sold since. So um, yeah, I, 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 would, I would advise to steer clear of Washington State until things change, but research it to figure out what not to do. And I think that's what the state of Massachusetts did was they looked at Colorado and, and Washington and tried to figure out what were some of the mistakes that they made or um, I don't like to call them mistakes because this is this is a historic time in our country's development there. I mean, this was a this is a product, a medicine that's been used for thousands of years that has been vilified by misinformation for almost 100 years in this country. And every day you still find examples of that stigma, even with supporters of legalization, or let me rephrase it, users of the product still are not jumping on board and, and worried about the kids. And I try to explain to them that every mature state that has done research and studies, teen use goes down in legal states because they don't have to sneak around and do it anymore. They know exactly because of education, what it does to them, which is something I always preach about. Um, Tara, let's go back to multi-state operators a sec. Do you want them in Jersey? Okay, so I, I feel like the, the two things we have here is oversimplifying it, the Florida versus uh, Washington. I think it is indisputable and essential that we have both. The comparison I can make is, would you want to live in a state with only Applebee's, Olive Garden, Starbucks, only chain restaurants, corporate owned restaurants. That sounds like North Carolina. I'm just saying it's where my son lives. Go ahead. All right. <laughs> Not everyone gets everything right with restaurants either. That's right. That's right. You know, or would you want to live in a town with only, oh, that great little Italian restaurant, that cute little coffee shop, you know, but sometimes you need a, a, a giant big box store. So I, I think they're essential to any kind of landscape that you don't want it completely corporatized and whitewashed. And you don't want it to all be cute boutique things either. Um, uh, there, there's no one side of the coin that I think is a good answer. Yeah. Uh, Jill, you want to chime in here a little bit in your opinion? Go ahead. I, was say, I think you need both because you, you're going to have, we have the mom and pop shops with the smaller dispensaries that are open up and why not have both? Because you have two different types of customers. You know, you have someone that 
the customer that's going to be loyal to the mom and pop shop, and then you'll have someone that's going to go to the MSO. So I think it's, I think there's room for both. Yeah. We don't have that opportunity, Jimmy, because uh, MSOs aren't allowed in theory because you can't have a vertically integrated uh, opportunity. A lot of those MSOs want seed to sale. They're not just looking, you know, the, the MedMins, maybe they're not going into the grows necessarily, but a lot of them want uh, full advantage to, in order to have that price control and the quality control and everything that goes along with it. So Washington State doesn't allow that uh, because we aren't vertically integrated. Um, but what I'd like to maybe ask Jill about is a, a window into the soul of the community, because as some of these MSOs down in Vegas are opening up uh, adjacent um, hospitality, you know, cafes or lounges, and there's going to be a hospitality bill, I think, in, in New Jersey, um, and a lot of that is going to be tied to social equity. Is, is that going to be the gateway for social equity applicants? is through the, the cannabis cafe or marijuana lounge or the hospitality bills that are coming through? I would hope so. I'd like to think that would be some sort of avenue because there are equity programs that are available, but you know, that's something we'll have to remain to see. No one, no one can get the social equity question right. Okay. It, it's nearly impossible to start a new business and get Everybody from the social equity community, those who have been most harmed by the war on drugs, give them an opportunity. But it's so expensive, it's cost prohibitive in a lot of ways. Uh, Tara, what's been your experience in Jersey? And, and I also want to ask about that social club, because I can't wait for cannabis social clubs. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Go ahead. So I, I'm going to look up if there's any new legislation, because I admit I've been kind of absorbed in application land. But um, I could tell you what we have on the books, which is we have consumption lounges and a consumption lounge has to be attached to a dispensary. So you can't apply for a lounge by itself. Um, so they're right there. It costs a lot to have a dispensary, of course. Now, within these consumption lounges, we talk about towns opting out. On my last count, we only had nine who opted into lounges. Um, a couple of the big cities, which is cool, but then, you know, just some small towns who saw the extra revenue possibilities. Uh, so I do think there is, in the way that there's almost opportunities and ancillary businesses for social equity applicants to maybe become, um, you know, almost like a promoter or to uh, have kind of a licensing deal to bring in their own dispensary. You look at maybe someone, well, Happy Monkey is funded already, but someone like that who says, I have a brand, can I use your license? So I think there's things like that. Um, general social equity, they're just, they're scrambling to really try to make it work. Uh, a lot of these things were not thought through, and now we're kind to make them up as they go. Uh, it's, it's tricky. I know they're trying, and they're constantly trying to improve upon it, but there's still a long road ahead. Is this what it's going to take, though, to get that stigma that Jimmy was mentioning or that stereotype in order to move beyond that? Jill, are you, or do you think that this, because it's, I, I said that it's the window or the soul into the community. As soon as people see the cafes and lounges, a lot of that negativity and um, you know, nefarious activity will just melt away and they'll be like, oh, they're just you know, consuming cannabis, no big deal. Um, what is your perception or opinion about the impact that these lounges or cafes could have? I think that a lounge or a cafe, when you think about that in terms of what it is and where, you know, where it's come from, of course, it leaves the user to feel very comfortable with that type of space. So you're gonna feel comfortable with a coffee lounge type space as opposed to 
just a dispensary. And I think there's um, a program now called the Dream Act in New Jersey that is available for people, for minorities who have had records and helps with expungement. So I think that, that hopefully that will be a vehicle for people to be able to, you know, to be able to even do, you know, get a license and open up a cafe or something like that. But I think that um, it would be a very good thing to be able to have in that space in, in different communities, because that is something that people gravitate towards everywhere. You know, people are always going to coffee shops. Why not go to a cannabis coffee shop? The, um, so, the, the, oh, I'm sorry, Jill, I thought you were done. Um, but I'll just very quickly, the one thing of how far away we are from that, though, within uh, Crema is you're not allowed water yet. Uh, we've no, had consumption lounges where they've initially been created for Section 8 people who are not allowed to smoke at home because it's federally owned. So they are creating literally a consumption lounge or maybe you have a, a locker. Um, people have thought, you know, way before alcohol, what maybe corking fees or even coffee, people thought maybe I could do a little yoga or something, but you're not allowed to have a bottle of water. So <laughs> Jersey. Yay. <laughs> I, it is and that, and that $40,000 cost you're talking about that some of these 565 municipalities that are adding things on the ones that opt in. I mean, that's prohibitive in and of itself. It's, uh, it's frustrating. Like I said, we have a, we're getting better every day, though. What does that um, even pay for? $40,000. It's, it's just a fee they're tacking on. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's some towns who have no fee. And uh, that's the worst one I've heard so far. The ap application for a license to the state for a micro license is only 1000 for the state. And the town is charging 40 for to look at a couple questions where the application for the state is like 100 pages. So my question is, where does that forty thousand dollars go? Does it go back into the town? Are they improving things in the town? Where does it go? Like, you into know, the I, back pocket of those elected. Sorry, I had to say. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously it's going in somebody's pocket, but it really should be directed towards the town. Maybe improvements. Maybe you know, there's a bunch of things that could go towards. The whole point of taxing this uh, substance is to improve the town to exactly. use it. Uh, to to make the your life a little easier, uh, I, I think it'll be interesting when they do finally introduce social clubs. You know, it's a very pungent odor. Okay, I mean, I think everyone can agree that when you walk around a corner of something and you get a whiff, you can you know it's cannabis, right? You can't say the same thing about alcohol, but you can about coffee. We all like the smell of coffee, right? So I really think in a lot of ways the um, the cannabis smell, as attractive as it may be to some who use it on a regular basis, it does turn people off and it feeds that stigma. Oh, that stuff stinks. You know, you know, that's out there. Right. And yet cigars are like this uh, popular yeah. thing that you'll see in Florida on the golf course. And it's, uh, you know, somebody's walking around and there's no issue at all about the funk that a cigar has. But Heather, do you find that the, the, conservative nature of uh, Florida is going to hold back cannabis cafes in the future, or are they going to just steamroll that and take the revenue? No, absolutely not. Florida is definitely going to hold that back. We, we also, we, right now we are not taxed on medical cannabis. Um, we don't have state tax. We do have sales tax, but we don't have state tax income tax. They are not taxing on medical right now, but I feel like there's a lot of hesitancy when it comes to consumption lounges, because as we know, our governor DeSantis is 
oh, it's a putrid smell. Um, let's not get started on that. But the point is, it is very, very indicative of, is that the way that we want to go with this program is in, like excluding people solely based on the fact that somebody doesn't like the smell? Because I agree with you, Josh. I mean, we've got cigars. We've got all kinds of things that we can smell. We can smell bread baking. It might be good to some people, but to others, it's not. So I think Florida is going to be a long road when it comes to consumption lounges. We have to make it look or seem as sophisticated. A sophisticated gravity bong is the same as like a glass of wine or cigar. <laughs> right. Why not, right? I think we were talking about recently uh, trying to figure out how to create a product that does not smell at all. Right. So I remember, I remember there was actually, uh, it was the 2019 MJ BizCon. My video director will remember it because he did the interview um, of smellless cannabis uh odor free cannabis and I, again i like the smell but that's only because i'm a user i have a medical card i like the smell but you know i will say cigars as much as i have enjoyed one or two on the golf course i don't like them in my house you know what i'm saying or next door but i did Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Tell me. I didn't know about scent-free cannabis. This is the first time I'm hearing it. So that's super exciting to me. Um, but the first thing that hit me is, well, terpenes are what give cannabis its scent and terpenes are also present in wine. So then my, my thought went to usefulness, which I think if you took the scent away from wine, that would be so detrimental. That's part of what makes it beautiful is, you know, the palate and the nose and all that but it would be great for alcoholics because you wouldn't smell wine on you. So I see that as maybe it's use in weed as for being sneaky. Discretionary. Yeah, absolutely. Discreet, <laughs> yes. But when I'm in the dispensary would... or the pot shop, I hear a lot of people, they don't know don't what they want to buy. And, and they're talking about um, diesel. So they want something that smells like diesel or whatever. I like citrus, you know, and back to the Tara, the, the terpenes, that's the effects that you're getting, you know, where the percentage is how fast it's going to get you there. I want to know what effect I'm going to get. I don't want some flavorless, scentless piece of hay or whatever, you know, I want something yeah. that's going to smell and taste delicious. And even artificial terpenes versus naturally derived, you know, that that's its own thing. Slow your roll there. Josh, I'm not going to pick on you, but I am going to use what you said for this next discussion point, okay? Uh -oh. And it does have to do with media perception of the industry. When you go by a liquor store, do you refer to it as a booze shop? Ever? Never. No, never. So the, owner, the owners of some medical dispensaries that I know, okay, take offense to, the, to that term pot shop. Weed shop? What's your Tara? I'm going to go to you first because I know you have an opinion about this. Oh yeah, I, I gave it to some author who used that in his book like a hundred times, as well as uh, many other derogatory terms. And I think language is so important. You know, in Jersey for a long time, I would never call it recreational because that has its own connotation. I would say adult use because it's something adults can use responsibly. And when I taught my cannabis course too, I said if you're going to a job innovation, it's not weed, it's not pot, it's not dang. <laughs> like you're you're creating professionalism and that helps the industry. So yes, Josh, don't use pot shop. <laughs> oh, so Josh, are, are you okay with that? Uh, yeah, no, I get it. Um, I like the hashtag pot shop. I use that. Um, I, I also use adult use, but uh, I call it a liquor shop. That's what, that's what it is. It's a liquor shop uh, here. They, that's because we, we, in Washington, it was 
regulated by the state for a long time, not like a grocery store in California, you go in and you get everything else. So it was very isolated, just like here, it's very isolated. So um, I I use it as a term of endearment, pot shop, whereas rec shop, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, with Tara, where it's, there's medical purposes, first and foremost, or at least for me, for a lot of people. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll just keep the debate going. <laughs> uh, that, I, I agree. And I, again, this, this is, this is the evolution of this historic moment that we're in because, and Tara's right. Words do hurt, especially those in the industry. And, you know, a dear friend was taken aback when he saw this on um, local network television, that they were referring to dispensaries as pot shops. And he goes, they don't call them booze shops. Why should they call them pot shots? It certainly made sense to me. Um, I got to ask Heather, what's your reaction about that? term? I don't like it either. I'm big on semantics. I think that Tara's exactly right. The way we talk about cannabis is very important moving forward because we need to establish professionalism. And I think pot shop, while it's a fun term, it is a little diminutive of what's actually happening. It's just throwing an adjective in front of it. Why can't we just say, hey, there's my shop, you know, because we need to get to that point of normalization at some point or another, you know, and, right. and not put a label in front of it. Right. right. The, the plant is cannabis. The place that distributes the cannabis is a dispensary. Okay. But are, are the people, Jimmy, that use it stoners? Because I hate that word. I hate that word. I hate that word too. I was just going to bring up stoner. I agree. I don't like that as he at, at, as well because not everybody who gets high gets stoned. There's a difference. But stoner has a negative connotation to lazy, unmotivated, stupid, all of those right. things that are just not that not true. That was created I, by the stigma. I want to get Jill. I, I want to get Jill. Hang on a second. Hold hold your thought, Jill, because you need to you need to chime in here about the pot shop term, and then and then we'll go back to you. Heather. Go ahead. I have gravitated towards just calling it the cannabis shop. I, you know, I don't know. It just naturally started gravitating towards that, and I, you know, I'm with you on that. I don't like uh, the word stoner. I prefer you know, someone that maybe gets lifted or elevated. You know, I don't think that stoner is a positive term to use. Even if it's a medical user, okay? You're using the medicine and you're learning how to use it responsibly. Now, adults can certainly have a recreational experience with it as well, but that it, it, it still has medicinal value. Uh, Heather, I think I cut you off. Go ahead. Oh, oh no. I was, I was going to say Tommy Chong would agree with you on that one because he is a firm believer in that all use of cannabis is medicinal. It right. doesn't matter why you're using it. If it's to de-stress, if it's to be the, you know, anxiety, it doesn't matter. It is medicinal in a way. And so I like that term adult use. I don't like the term stoner. Personally, I know what being stoned is. I mean, throwing stones at someone. I've never been stoned. So I, I think that's, a, again, we have a diminutive term that we've been using to group together a whole bunch of people that do a certain action. And that's not really what's happening here. This is something that needs to be thought of more as a medicine and more as a adult use product, consumer good. It's a consumer good and it needs to be treated as such. Right. And also the audience that you're talking to will really determine the, the type, the words that you're using. I really believe that. I'd like to see people chime in on the chat room about the term pot shop because everybody has an opinion about it, which, which is which is great, which is why we have a talk show. All right, um, Tara, it was great seeing you again, even in a little box. I can't wait. To, I am coming back down to Jersey, I think, 
the weekend of May 6th and 7th for the Athletes and Cannabis Conference. I haven't followed up with the guy that I met at NECAN yet, but that's kind of on the back end of my back of my calendar brain. And I do hope to be there for that. So if I do come down there, I will certainly let you know that uh, alert the media in New Jersey that I'll be coming down. All right. Okay. I will. I hopefully I can make that. And, awesome. and Jill, uh, so appreciate the fact you've joined our WeTalk News team. Um, we're going to continue to uh, enjoy your insight on this uh, crazy business. And I'm really happy that Tara and Jill know each other because you guys are in the same state. You're both pro-cannabis. I'm sure there's a way for Jill to help Tara and for Tara to help Jill, because isn't that what this plant is about, right? Bringing people together so we can help each other because Lord knows the human race needs a lot of help. We'll be back with more of Green Rush Live after this. Don't go away. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out and check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked, the podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your canna confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get casually baked.